Well, this morning we've had opportunity to reflect upon the one who was the living truth, who gave up his life for us, and now we're going to look at the one who was the dispenser of truth and listen to what he had to say to us. You know, as you think about what happens on Sundays like this, or if you've been other places on Sundays and you hear people preach, uh, there, there is a, a common experience probably for all of us is when we're hearing someone speak, whether it's a sermon or someone in any other type of setting where they're delivering a talk, we begin to grade them. Just how, how, how well are they doing? Now, what kind of preacher they are, what kind of speaker they are. And for those who, who do it for a living, we, we do recognize that we, we, don't, we, don't always, we don't always hit a grand slam every time we preach. And that's, that's our desire, that's our, our, our hope, but sometimes we don't communicate as well as we would like. I didn't share this in the first service, but I remember one time, uh, normally what I, I, my main goal is to take whatever God's Word has said powerfully and, and try to make it as clear and as simple and straightforward as possible. I, I want you to get what it means and what it says. Uh, but I remember one particular Sunday, I was, I was coming back, I was on a red eye from St. Louis coming back, and I remember, I remember really working hard on the message and even doing it in the plane, going and coming and and for whatever reason, I was struggling with making that passage just come alive. And it wasn't anything wrong with the passage. It was me. And I remember distinctly after uh, preaching that message, not only could I tell the people who were hearing didn't get it, I didn't get it either. You know, it was one of those times thinking, I don't think I made any sense. But, you know, when you, when you think about Jesus, whenever he preached, he was the master preacher. He never preached a bad message. He never delivered a, a sermon that did not make sense because of, he, he is the living truth and he is the dispenser of the, the written truth. And as we look in the scriptures, we, we recognize that we have some of his sermons, but probably in an abbreviated format. Uh, some of them, some uh, gospel writers give a longer setting of, of what he had to say in a particular moment in time, but probably even then, they don't deliver everything that he said at that particular uh, point in which he was trying to grab the hearts of people. Part of it, you realize that, because sometimes when Jesus preached, he would preach so long the entire day that uh, they were there so long that he had to feed them. I mean, they all... We didn't bring anything to eat, and it's too long to get home. What are we going to do? And so he, he fed them, and he, he broke them up into groups, and they had their life groups right there. Right after he preached, they, they discussed what he had to say. And, and this morning, what we're going to be looking at is we're looking at Luke's account of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and whether this was a message that was delivered multiple times or whether this is a, a recap of what uh, Matthew records for us in his gospel. But we, we see Jesus, the master preacher. And sometimes when we think about Jesus, we're thinking about he, he being um, the miracle worker, he, uh, Jesus being the Savior, He's being Lord. But as much as anything else, Jesus was a preacher because He wanted to communicate truth because it is the truth that sets us free. It's the one who is the truth that changes everything uh, in our lives. So this morning, we're, we're going to look at that. And as you think about communicators, communicators in any type of message they're trying to get across, there's pretty much a, a, a simple format. The format is you have an introduction, you have the body of material you're giving them, and there's that conclusion. And preachers are trying to, to raise people up into the heavenlies as we think about not just earthly truth, but heavenly truth. 
But if you've uh, heard a number of sermons, you, as you are brought up into the heavenlies, as God gives us, you know, his message, sometimes you wonder, is that preacher ever going to land that plane, you know? <laughs> are they ever going to come from the heavenlies and bring it down here to, to where we live? Well, Jesus, he, he always brought it down to where people lived. And the introduction was to grab their hearts and their minds. The, the body of truth was to cause them to think through about what they were to understand and then do. And then the conclusion was, that, okay, this is, this is what it's all about. And now what are you going to do about it? Well, we're going to see that this morning as I do somewhat of a review of the message and then get to the point what we're trying to new material today. But the introduction was given actually a couple weeks ago, and I didn't really give it as the introduction to Jesus' message, but that's really what it was. He asked the question, how many of you would like to be happy? And of course, they all raised their hand, whether you had them raise their hand or not. But would you like to be blessed? Would you like to be blessed by God? Would you like to be favored by God? And who wouldn't want that? And as they first heard that, they probably thought, well, I, I don't qualify. I'm not going to be blessed by God. All you have to do is look at where I've been and where, what I'm doing right now and where I'm headed. And I don't think there's any hope for me. And maybe you come here, not with maybe that emotional baggage, but maybe that thought has crossed your mind many times in the midst of, of journeying for God. Am I ever going to be a blessed person, a happy person? Well, Jesus actually grabbed not only their hearts with that question, but their minds saying, well, you know, you can qualify. All you have to be is poor. Really? That's all I have to be is poor? You need to recognize in that day, you know, we, we talk about people getting paid. Uh, uh, they, they go from paycheck to paycheck. They went from day to day. Most of them only got paid for working on that particular day. And if they didn't work that day, they didn't get what? They didn't get paid. And, and, and so they recognize, oh, yeah, I feel pretty poor. I don't have anything, you know, no nest egg for me and my family. And they said, okay, not only do you need to be poor, and really he was talking about being poor in the spirit in a larger setting. He said, uh, how many have ever been hungry? <laughs> Are you kidding me? I've been hungry all my life. I've never, I never eat more than I, uh, than I need. I mean, I never get to eat all that I want. And, and again, he wasn't just speaking about hungry for physical things, so that was part of the image. He was saying, are you hungry for, for that which only God can provide? And really, a person is never, never pursuing more happiness if they think they're happy enough. Isn't that true? If you've got it all, why do you need any more? And they say, well, no, I, I'm hungering for more than what I've been experiencing. And so I, I'm hungering for what God wants from me. I, I, I'm hungry for righteousness and that which pleases God. And so they're beginning to think, maybe he's going to speak to my life, not just the religious elite. And he went on. I mean, he, he said all kinds of things that seemed to, to mirror where they were at. They were hungry. They were poor. And he said, does anybody in this world not like you? <laughs> and now, now they put up both hands. There's all kinds of people who don't like me. And he said, well, blessed are you if people ostracize you and they hate you and they don't want to be around you. And if that be your case, there's a hope for you. You can be blessed by God. So as a good speaker, as a good preacher, he, he grabbed their attention, grabbed their hearts, and, and now they're saying, well, now what? Now, now what, do you, what do you have for me? And he gets into the body of truth, and after the body of truth, he ends with a conclusion. And in the body of truth, he now says, okay, I'm going to tell you some things that it's going to be impossible for you to live out. He, he just brought him into the opportunity to be blessed, and now he said, I'm going to tell you something impossible to be, to be lived out. And we looked at them last week, and we 
we talked about that, that the truth about radical living. So radical that none of you can do it, preacher included, this preacher at least. And he said, I am calling you to a life way beyond what is the measuring stick that you've heard before. And the main point about that, radical living can only be lived out by having a radical, committed relationship with God. And they began to see that this is how you want me to live, this is how you want me to be, and I can only experience that with a dependent relationship on you. And the only people who were listening that didn't get it are the people who, who didn't want to change. And quite frankly, many of them were the religious people. They, I, I, I don't want to live that way. I'm kind of satisfied where I'm at. And in many ways, that's, that's maybe a point for all of us who, who habitually come to places like this and worship and involve in a church is, is we can go through the motions. Any of you will admit that sometimes you go through the motions in your Christian life? You know, you, you, you're not giving everything, and I'm not talking about doing things that are just weird and strange. I mean, you, you, get, you get to a point and say, that's enough. I don't want to get fanatical here. And, and again, we're not talking about weird, strange things, but he's saying, I want you to live out a life that can only live, be lived on a dependent relationship with me. And by quick review, he, he, he begins by jumping in. He says, how's your love life? Now, that was a popular phrase a while back. I don't know if it was a commercial or whatever it might be, but how's your love life? I don't know if it was a, if it was a commercial about toothpaste or whatever it might be, but you know, if you have the right toothpaste, you can have a great love life. But he wasn't talking about toothpaste here. He wasn't talking about dental care. He said, "Not how's your love life? And even more pointedly, who, who's in your love life? Remember that? You've heard it said that uh, you ought to love your neighbor. You ought to, you ought to love, uh, you know, people who love you in re- return. He says, no, 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 no. That, that's not the high calling I'm giving you. You ought to love people. In fact, you ought to love everybody, even people you don't even like. And not only you don't like, but they don't like you. Because everyone loves people who love them in return. I'm calling you a, a radical way to look at people like I look at people. I love people who I've made in my image, and I'm going to send my son to die for them. And, and then he went on because, well, maybe I just ought to change my feelings, how I feel about people. He said, no, 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 that, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you love people, you'll do good to those who don't do good to you. You'll be kind to people who are not kind to you and, and what you say to them, and you'll begin praying for people that all you want to do is pray the curses of God and not the blessings of God. This is really radical living because this is not natural. And that's what he was trying to say. You can't do this, but I can do that in you and through you. That's the kind of people that are really blessed by God who live out the life that God has always intended. That God's people are marked by love, radical love, who does good for people who don't do good for them in return, who bless those who don't bless them, who pray for people that at times you don't want to pray for. And then he goes on, and he gives that golden rule, and you've all memorized it this week, right? You've, I can get you up here on stage and just have you quote it. Okay. You know, it, it, Luke 6.31, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, they had heard similar things like that, but Jesus, he had a spin on it. He, he wasn't saying, I, I want you to you know, stop doing bad things, you know, before they do them to you. He said, no, I want you to intentionally do good things to people. 
And that measuring stick, well, how would you want them to treat you? Well, treat them in the same way. But what if they don't treat me in the same way? That doesn't matter. You are to treat others the same way you want them to treat you. Now, would this world be a lot different if that's how people lived? But who are the only kind of people that can live that way? Not people who are better than others. Only people who can live that way are people who have a radical relationship with Jesus Christ. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love. And then he said, oh, by the way, in case you're trying to, you know, get motivated by this, that if I live this way, you know, it'll be paid, you know, pay it forward, people will start paying it back to me. Well, that might not always be the case. Because it's to pray unconditionally without expecting it to be reciprocal. Because what we always tell kill, uh, children, life is not fair, right? And so we need to tell that to ourselves as well. When life is not fair, we ought to still love radically like God loves us. Well, as you think about the master preachers, in fact, when I went to seminary and, you know, we were, they call it homiletics, okay, when we were taught how to preach, many times they said, well, you got, you got to keep it simple, all right? You know, the KISS principle, you probably heard that, keep it simple, stupid. And they were talking about the, people, the person preaching, not for the people he was preaching to, okay? Keep it simple, stupid, okay? And so usually keep it simple, you say, well, the, the max amount of points you ought to have are three points because people can't remember more than what? Three points. Well, and I think there's a, there's a reason why preachers need to be reminded, don't give 5,000 points in a message. But Jesus gave more than three points. And even in the abbreviated synopsis of Luke's account, he, he gave multiple points that they weren't alliterated and, and they didn't even always simply connect, or at least obviously connect. I'm sure they were always connected, but but, but really, in the midst, no matter how many points you have, you ought to have, a, in one sense, a singular point. What's the singular point here? This is radical living. This is, this is, this is living where you can't get complacent. You, you are challenged to the core of who you are because this isn't natural, is it? We, we, we don't respond to people that way. And partly because they don't respond to us that way, and it's you know, getting back to that fair game. And, and so he hits the same thing over and over and over again. It's good stuff, but it's, it's overwhelming. But just remember the main point. This is challenging. This is radical. But this is, this is where true blessedness and happiness comes from. So let's pick up where we left off. And, and uh, I'll try not to preach every singular bullet point as a long point, all right? Let's look at some of the Luke 6, verse 37. So after he hits us strongly with the golden rule and the love life and the practicality of it. He says, oh, by the way, verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged and do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. And I put in your outline this way, judge others the same way you want to be judged. And by the way, we're all going to be judged. And who is going to be our judge? God is going to be our judge. And he's saying, oh, by the way, when you judge others, if if you start judging others in a way that you would not want them to judge you, um, then just stop it. And by the way, if you continue going down that path, I will judge you that way. And, and sometimes people go to this passage and they say, well, God says never to judge. Well, that obviously can't be what he's saying here, right? Because he had just made some judgments on them. He just judged their, their love life, right? Oh, by the way, if you just love 
people who love you in return, that's wrong. That's sinful. Well, that's a judgment, isn't it? And he said, oh, by the way, if you only pray for those people you like, that's, that's wrong. If you only do good to those who have done good to you, that's wrong. He made judgments all the time. But what he did not do, he, 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 did, not, he did not come across to them as, oh, by the way, even though he was, I'm much, I'm much more important than you are in terms of just as a human being, but as God, as the master teacher, he was saying, look, at I, I hold you to the same account that I'm holding myself. And so as we think about this, what he's saying to us is if we're going to follow radical challenges, we cannot, I guess if you wanted to put in a phrase, we can make judgments, but we better not be judgmental. And judgmental is all of a sudden as we, as we get in other people's lives, we consider ourselves better than them because we're making a judgment on them. In Matthew 7, 2, he says this, For in the same way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it shall be ma- measured to you. Or, or put it in a physical way. When you're making a judgment, and, and again, it's all right to make a judgment. Uh, if you were to, you know, like the person up front, you know, speaking at someone, it's like you're pointing a finger at somebody, Right? You have messed up. Point at Jeannie right now, okay? Now, when I do that, what I need to do in my own heart and mind is when I'm pointing at her, I give her permission to do what to me? Point back, right? (laughs) She just did. (laughs) Okay, see what I'm saying? But when, when we judge others, we don't want them coming back and judging us, do we? And that's really a measuring stick for it as well. Look at it. When you judge others, you give them permission now to make a judgment upon you. And we're going to see this illustrated in another way later on. And so let's begin. As we think about how we are to live, let's not be judgmental, which means pointing out things in people's lives that we don't give them permission to point out things in our lives as well. Does that make sense? Not having a different measuring stick for them that is not true for us. And you find people who are overly defensive as the people who want to make judgments but don't want to have people make judgments on them. Secondly, and now this is the one he kind of just throws in here a little bit, uh, at least in terms of where did this come from, other than he has consistently challenged us to live a radical life. He, he says in verse 8, Give, and it shall be given to you. They will pour out into your lap a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. So you're thinking, you've been talking about love. You've been talking about doing good. You've been talking about the golden rule. You're talking about later, earlier, in terms of illustrating, he said, you need to be merciful as God has been merciful to you. You're talking about not be judgmental. Now you're talking about giving? Where did that come from? Are you going to pass the offering plate right now? What's the point here? Well, again, the, the point of this passage is, is that as we think about people that are marked as blessed by God, that means God has given to them, right? His favor. And he said, well, if God has given you his favor, then do that in return, right? Now, as you've been given, give. And to recognize that when God gives to you, it's, it's an overflowing experience. He gives you way more than you could ever give to somebody else. But if you somehow try to hoard what God has given you, then there's nothing more that God can give to you, right? And so as we think, again, radical living for, for Christ is that 
is that God's people ought to be the most generous people. That we are investing in God's kingdom, his work locally and globally. That we, we give and we recognize that when we give, we can never outgive God. And, and we overflow when that happens in our life. And isn't that what Acts 20, 30 verse said? It, give like is more blessed to give than receive. And everything I showed you, and that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he himself, it is more blessed to give than receive. So these multiple bullet points, it's okay, this, this is what it means to live for Jesus. Don't judge others unless you're willing to let them judge you in return. Um, give like is more blessed to give than receive. And, and then he goes on again. Now he tells a little story in the midst of his message. And he, he also spoke a parable to them. And what's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. A blind man cannot guide a blind man. Candy, will they not both fall into a pit? And sometimes we'll use that as phrase. It's, boy, that's sure an example of the blind leading the what? The blind. And, and we'll see that in situations where people are, are trying to lead or they're leading or they're speaking out about something. You go, that person has no clue as to what he's what? Saying or talking about. That, that person's going in a certain direction. In fact, you ever done that in a car? You're, you're, you're driving and all of a sudden uh, people say, well, how... Uh, how much farther? He said, I have no idea how much farther, but we're making good time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're driving and, and, and everything's going right, but you, you, are you really getting to your destination? And, and I guess you could put it this way in a positive way. I, I put it this way in your outline. Follow people only if they see clearly and know where they're going. You know, and some of you are well aware of my experiences. Yeah, there have been many times where I've gotten lost and I've asked the wrong people for what? Directions. And let's be honest. Religious people have not a great track record in knowing what is true. We can be so gullible. We can, we can listen to preachers and teachers. We can watch films. We can do all kinds of things that become popular. And do we really discern what the message is? Don't, don't do that. Don't fall into a pit by not listening to what people are saying. And does it, does it to conform to God's word? And even if it touches your heart and it develops warm feelings inside, that, that doesn't mean it's, it's the truth. There's so many examples of that. There are so many health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that are asking you to give them a new plane, you know, and, and, and then you trek what they're doing. They have multiple homes, various places. They're, they have a slew of cars, and they've got an $83 million plane. Well, who's giving? It's, it's religious people who are giving to them. It, 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 and you wonder, how does that happen? Because the, the blind person is leading the blind, and they're, they're going down the wrong path. And, and as Jesus was saying that, he some of the people he was saying that to, they were the blind people leading other people in the multitude the wrong direction. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus, with no uncertain terms, said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel about the, on sea and land to make one proselyte, one convert. And when he comes, becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. You know, some people who get religious are more miserable than they were before they got religious. Maybe you've known people like that. You go, I, 
That's the last kind of person I want to be. And they're very committed and faithful, but man, they don't know what Jesus is all about. Matthew 23, I won't read the passage, but uh, this is the front part. Woe to you blind guides. And that was right after he was talking to the Pharisees. You who know so much are leading people down the wrong path, and you're like a guide who cannot see clearly. Paul in Galatians said, look, if anyone preaches you a different gospel, let them be damned, really. So, again, what, what's the bullet point here? The bullet points are, look, we need to n- not judge others unless we're willing to be judged in that same way. We ought to be people that are very clear that, that we ought to be generous. We ought to be excited about giving and supporting what God is doing. And God will overflow in our lives. We, we ought to be people who, who really recognize there are people who will deceive us. There will be many false teachers come out. And some of them sound pretty good, but they're leading people down the wrong path. And actually, then one of my, one of my favorite passages really in all of, all of Luke, and in many ways, much of the New Testament is found in Luke chapter 6, verse 40. And it says this, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Again, this is one of those messages, again, all the points are alliterated, but he's just throwing these things out for them to think about. Well, what is he saying here? I, I would put it this way. Be a good student by becoming like your teacher. Now, I, I went to formal education through school quite a long period of time. And in every class I took, the teacher was always concerned um, that you were getting the content. And so you would regularly get what kind of things throughout the quarter or semester? They would give you a what? A test. And on the test, they would grade you based on how much you could return back what they had spoken about. Now, that was, that was a measuring stick, and that's important. But what's more important than being able to pass the written test about the content that you were given is, can you take that content and actually do what with it? Live it, right? Because it, it, it's one thing to be able to... Let's say you were taking an auto class and be able to dissect a a motor in terms of what was asked you upon the written text. But then they say, okay, now here's the car that's been... Now, I want you to tear apart and put it back together. You can get an A on one test, and you could flunk the other one, and which would have been the more important test? Can Can you do it? Can you live it? And so Jesus, in a turn of phrase, says this. We are going to be measured in our life not by how much... We remember in terms of all the details of what's in this book, though that's important, but are we living it out? Because the natural way to say, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will know what his teacher knows. Isn't that how you normally would think about it? I've been well trained. I know what he knows, or I know what she knows. And that's part of the process but that's not really the goal. The goal is not to know what everybody else knows. The, know, the goal is to be able to live out what you do know. Isn't that true? If, if, you know, Jesus, you're going to look at this passage a little bit later, but in John chapter 13, you know, Jesus uh, teaches them about being a servant. Now, if they had taken a written tra- uh, test, I think all of them would have got that right. But Jesus kind of discerning. He had just washed their feet. And they're kind of looking at him with that dazed look. Have you ever been in class and you got that dazed look going on? Okay, they, he had that dazed look. And he says, oh, by the way, you're not quite getting this. I did this to give you an example. He didn't even stop there. And I gave this example. And I want you to understand, uh, 
a, a pupil is not above his teacher, which means, okay, I did this, and so the pupil who might think, well, that's beneath me, that, that, that doesn't work because the pupil is never beneath the teacher. And I want you to understand, just knowing what I did is not enough. He said, if you know these things, happy or blessed if you what? Do them. Does that make sense? So again, he, he's, he's given this message, which is actually pretty plain, but it, man, it's so hard-hitting, isn't it? This is, this is God's goal, is that we live it out. So he's hitting all these bullet points, or which is really one main point. This is overly challenging. This is radical living. But, but in some ways, it's enticing because there's no need to be complacent, right? We, we always got further to go in our walk with God. Because this is, this is what we want. We want to become more like Jesus. And he's pretty specific. And, and then he says this. And this is a common illustration that you've heard before. He goes on in verse 41. He says this. Oh, by the way, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And, and he's talking about that little spit word speck means something that's really painful in a person's you know, orbital here. I mean, that's really, uh, really causing, you know, pain. Something's wrong. But he says, why are you taking that person with that what is wrong in their life, and you think you can do surgery, eye surgery, and you've got this beam, actually one of these beams, it's a big word. If you have a two-by-four coming out of, your, out of your eye, what makes you think you can see clearly to get something out of somebody else's eye. He goes on and says, You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, these words are so familiar to many of us, it doesn't come across probably how it came across when Jesus preached it. This is probably a break in Jesus' sermon, and he told a joke. <laughs> Isn't this comical? Have you ever seen this happen or something? Has this, he's trying to help somebody out, and he really can't see clearly because something's camouflaging everything, and he's trying to do something really important, and he can't even see clearly. And all of a sudden, they took a step back and said, oh, he, he, he's not. He's talking about me. Now, now, here's how I would say it. What is he really saying to all of us? He said, you know, fix yourself before you try to fix others. And this is kind of like the judgment passage, but now in a much more pointed area. Would you say it's easier to see what's wrong in somebody else's life than it is your own? Would you say it's easier to understand what needs to be fixed in somebody else's life than what needs to be fixed in your life? Are we all still on the same page here? We, we see a lot what's wrong in somebody else's life. And that's not necessarily wrong, that you can see some things that are wrong in somebody else's life. And quite frankly, it, when I, I, I think we've all had that experience having something in our eye. It's painful, and we want to get it out. But we want to make sure the person who's going to get it out can, can get it out and not create more, more harm than less harm. And really, sometimes what we do when we run to fix somebody, they're not ready to be fixed, Right? Or they're not ready to be fixed by you. And, and why aren't they be ready to be fixed by you? Because they see more things wrong in your life, whether that's true or not, but that's what they see, than what they perceive is wrong in their life. And, and I would give this as a simple idea. I want to read Galatians 6.1 real quickly. 
Uh, Brethren, if even a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, that's religious talk to simply say this. It's look at when we're always on the fixing end of relationships, then we have pretty much, you know, drank the Kool-Aid thinking there's nothing wrong in my life. It's only what's wrong in somebody else's life. Isn't that true? If we're only fixing people, never fixing what's wrong in our life, we think there's nothing wrong in our life. And the only person we're fooling is who? Ourselves. Now, is there a place to come alongside other people to fix them? Of course there is. It's throughout the New Testament. Jesus did it all the time, didn't he? But particularly for his followers, the point here was this. Don't fix others unless you're willing for them to try what? And fix you. It's kind of the same thing on the eye of the judgment. Don't judge others unless you're willing for them to judge you. Don't fix others unless you're willing to them, for them to try working on fixing you. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus is so practical, and I'm sure they're, they're hearing this. They're going, oh, this, this is so this is so challenging. This is so radical. But I could see if, if we lived like this, this would be the blessed life. This would be the happy life. It wouldn't be easy, but it would be so awesome. He goes on, and we won't read the passage in the text there, but he, he talks about, look, at this is just about understanding fruit. You know, the, the fruit that is really true fruit comes from a, uh, a tree that bears that fruit. And if you're not bearing that fruit, then it's just, just a bunch of thorns. Well, Jesus decides to land the plane, and he gives a conclusion, which I've made into a point. But let me just read the section, and then we'll, we'll conclude with that. After giving this message where he, he introduced it by saying, hey, do you want to be happy? And do you want to be blessed? And I'm sure they all said yes. And he said, okay, but it's going to be a radical way to live. And you can only do that by the power of God working in your life. He then says, okay, bottom line, what I'm talking about here is you can't just hear this. You've got to be willing to do it. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. The two types of people here. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the man who has heard and has and has not acted accordingly, is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. You could also say sand. And the torrent burst against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the ruin of the house was great. He said, bottom line of this, you want to be happy, Here's the, you had to live radically, only by a radical relationship with me. And, and let me just get down to the point. You can't just hear this. You've got to respond to it. And I put it this way in your outline. What is, what is he saying to them and to us? Trust and obey is the only way to have a life that lasts. We can all look you know, pretty good for a period of time, but over a period of time, a longer period of time, is when we really show where is our life? What kind of foundation do we have? And I know in this service particularly, you know, there is a hymn of the faith that we all know. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, this is how you get happiness, but this is all also how you get stability in your relationship with God. You can't just say, I trust without obeying. 
Because when you really trust, then you'll, your, your trust will work itself out in how you live. So what's the point this morning? Obviously, is this challenging enough? This is overwhelmingly challenging. And, and, and the question then is, well, what, what are we going to do with it? Hopefully what we're going to do is say, that, God, this is how I want to live. And I want you to remind me that I need to depend upon you, that you want me to love people like this. You want me to treat people like this. You want me to, to care about people like this. You want me to not be defensive, and you want me to be willing to be fixed as well as to fix. You want, you want me to have relationships where I, I give people permission to speak into my life, and they've given permission to me to speak into their life. I, I want to live this out because this, this is what life is really all about. But it all begins with having a, a committed relationship to you. Do you have one? And are you pursuing this with all that you are to live the life God has called you and I to live? Let's pray. Our Father, everyone's on a journey. For some, it's that first step of saying, Jesus, I need you now. Forgive me of my sins and come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And then after it begins there, then it's the, it's the pursuit on a daily basis. Say, God, I, I need you every hour, every moment of every day. I need your truth to permeate my heart and my mind that I desire to live in ways that, that please you and that people could see Jesus in me. Help me live a life that honors you and pleases you, that follows after your teachings. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude this morning,